And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620, or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Podbeam, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. As always, we have a lot to talk about today, a lot of things going on, some news, uh, some numbers that I want to get to you, and, and data that I think is very important that often goes uh, untouched and unnoticed and, and uh, the only ones that are going to bring it up and discuss it are those that stand for life. I also want to get into some some new data concerning uh, what we're seeing in our country and in our culture, especially in uh, in our schools with identity. And and I, look, the the reality is I'm going to talk about identity uh, and and how we're made in the image of God and what that means. I'm going to be talking about that a lot more moving forward because our culture is is muddying the waters on purpose. Uh, the enemy is muddying the waters on purpose and creating confusion on purpose. And our young people are are at a loss. And it's not just young people. It's 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 middle aged people. It's a lot of folks, but they are they are creating confusion and uh, and doing that with intent and with purpose. And the enemy is involved in that. Uh, and we'll get into that in a second as well. But I first want to start with. Uh, some reports over at Live Action, and, and this is startling. Abortion reports from just five states reveal that over 100 babies were born alive following abortion attempts in recent years. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision legalizing abortion throughout the U.S., stories about the so-called dreaded complication, a term abortionists have used to describe babies surviving abortions, have surfaced. Though many abortion advocates have denied that infants survive abortion, reporting agencies have already disclosed information proving that it still occurs. This was an article from 2020, so that's why I'm pointing this out. I know it's an old article, uh, but, but I want you to understand that numbers matter. And I want you to understand that this came out in 2020, and no one talks about it. So this came out a long time ago, three years ago, and no one talks about it. Looking at the data, it is clear that what NARAL says, and this is what they said, if abortion did not solve the planning problem, there was always infanticide to fall back on. Looking at the data, it's clear that those words still echo today. Despite only a handful of states requiring abortionists to report infants who survive abortion, CDC data reviewed by the Charlotte Lozier Institute found that nationwide between 2003 and 2014, at least 143 babies died after being born alive during botched abortions through the CDC, though the CDC also states this could be an underestimation. Here's a handful of examples. 37 reports involving a fetus or embryo delivered alive after an abortion have been submitted to Arizona Health Department along with physician statements documenting the measures taken to preserve the life of the preborn child since 2017. Live Action News previously documented, documented that in Florida, 27 babies were reported as born alive during abortions between 2015 and 2020. Four of the 27 were born alive in 2020. In Michigan, although there have not been any reports of evidence of life following abortions in Michigan in recent years, from 2008 to 2015, the state reported that 12 babies were known to have survived abortions. The state of Minnesota uses the term comfort care in its reports, but in each case, it missed the infant did not survive. 
Since 2015, at least 19 babies have been known to have survived abortions in the state, more by the year below. And, and we can go further with this. 2019, in one instance, fetal anomalies were reported, but residual cardiac activity was present at two minutes. Care was transferred to the second medical doctor. No measures to preserve life were reported, and the infant did not survive. And the list goes on and on and on. And so I bring this up simply to say that, that culture will often say, well, well, you don't care about baby after it's born. That is, what, that is what abortionists will say to us. That is what the abortion lobby will say to us. That is what uh, pro-abortion politicians will say to us. Frankly, I hear that sometimes when I go and speak at churches. I hear well-meaning people look at me and say, well, what are we doing for the babies after they are born? As if we don't care about baby after it's born. That's nonsense. It's a lie from the pit of hell, and I'm not going to listen to it. Because we are doing things. We're providing baby showers. We're providing car seats. We're providing diapers. The church is adopting and fostering more kids than anyone. Pregnancy centers are doing more work for moms and dads than, than anyone. But here's the reality. The, the abortion lobby would say, y'all don't care about baby after it's born, as if they do. Like, like, do you understand that? They, they will not support a piece of legislation that says if a baby survives an abortion, they deserve the care of any other human. They can't even bring themselves to support that piece of legislation. Why? Because abortion is the golden calf. And they don't want anyone to think that abortion ever fails. And so even if that baby is born alive, we'll just give it comfort care, quote, comfort care, quote unquote, and we'll just let it die. So who's the one that doesn't care about babies after they are born? Who's the extreme one here? They will go out of their way to prop up abortion no matter the cost. No matter the cost. They'll look at me and say, well, what about rape and incest, even though that's less than 1% of all abortions? And they expect us to compromise and, and adjust and change legislation based on those, those data points. Yet, when we say, what about the babies that are, that are born alive and survive a botched abortion? They say, well, that's such a small number, it doesn't matter. Oh, really? Really? That's an interesting perspective. Or as you heard the governor of Virginia a few years back say things like, we'll just make the baby comfortable and then we'll decide what to do from there. He literally said that. That's not taken out of context. That is the way they feel. That is what they believe. That abortion is, has preeminence over everything else. That we need abortion. And even if a baby were to survive a botched abortion, well, that baby still needs to meet its end. That is, that is what they believe. <clears throat> that is the numbers that we see. That's what their actions show us. And so when we stand for life and when we stand in opposition to abortion, we do so because it is worth standing for. And these things are happening. It's always interesting to me when an abortion uh, proponent 
says things like, well, if we can just save one life, we need to do X, Y, and Z. Yet they don't feel that way about babies in the womb. They don't feel that way about babies that survive a botched abortion. They don't feel that way about women that are dealing with the ramifications of an abortion decision. You see, so when we say things like, we need legislation to protect children that survive botched abortions, it's because of these numbers. It's because of the value of life that we need those pieces of legislation. It's because of those numbers and and, and because we value life that we need to speak out against this. And as our culture continues down the path it's going down, we must be bold in our belief system. And and I want to as you as you think about, well, how do I do that? And and maybe you're thinking, well, I'm nervous to do that. I'm nervous to speak out in our culture. I'm nervous to speak out at my workplace. I'm nervous to speak out in the classroom. I'm nervous to speak out uh, in my neighborhood. I'm nervous to speak out in my church. Well, Eric Reed is a pastor in Middle Tennessee, and, and he posted this earlier, uh, and, and I think it's so important. He actually posted it uh, yesterday morning, and I think he gives us some things to think about. He says, owning the truth of biblical Christianity in a negative world requires courage. It's not easy. Peter cowered under the pressure of being associated with Jesus when the opposition rose. And here he's got five truths about Christian courage in a negative world. One, people come to faith when Christians embrace the truth despite unpopularity. The gospel spreads during persecution, but only as believers remain faithful to hold the line. We can have reformation in our world again today if Christians would own the truth. Number two, willingness to stand for the truth empowers other Christians to stand firm. Christians are drawn to those they believe are laboring to stay faithful. This is why people are flocking to churches that are actively equipping their folks to hold the line. Number three, failure to remain in the truth weakens the church and leads to people turning away from it or apostasy. Churches that don't stand firm will die. Many are fading into irrelevance each day. We must actively equip ourselves and others to remain in the truth. We must train ourselves for godliness. Number four, courage to walk in the truth requires dying to public approval. Listen to that. Courage to walk in the truth requires dying to public approval. Christians are called racist, homophobes, transphobes, misogynists, and more. The key is do everything in your power to never be any of those things, but content in what God's standard says if called them. Number five, Jesus gives grace to repentant cowards. You may fail to show courage. You could bow to the opposition or deny Christ like Peter did. There's grace for those who confess and repent, and there's help who depend on him for courage. Those are powerful statements from a pastor in Middle Tennessee. And folks, we are needed now to be truthful and to speak truth and to be courageous and bold in that. The things we talk about every week on this show are things that no one wants to talk about. We'd much rather talk about the Vols or our favorite football team or the NFL draft or the NBA playoffs or, you know, surface level stuff. 
And that's okay. There's a time and place for surface level stuff. We, we need to take breaks. <clears throat> we need to have things that we enjoy. But we also need to be bold in the truth. And so when culture calls you a name, when culture persecutes, when the enemy comes after you, are we going to shield away and run? Are we going to stand firm in the truth? So when I'm calling it, called an extremist because of my position on life and my position on abortion, I don't run away. Well, of course not. I'm not going to run away because I'm going to speak the truth. And what Eric Reed was saying in that Twitter feed and Twitter thread is absolutely true. When I was debating back and forth in my college days, after I would get done and, and a number of people, you know, did not like me and did not like what I had to say, I would have folks come up to me after class and say things like, I'm so glad you said that. I agree with everything you said. And I would look at them and go, yeah, but you didn't say anything. I appreciate you affirming what I said. I appreciate the kind words. But where were you? And so the hope is that our boldness would be contagious. That our thirst for truth would be contagious. That pastors standing in the pulpit would would create a fire in folks that they would raise up and speak truth to the culture, not in a hateful way, but in a truthful, loving, compassionate way to point people to Jesus and to Calvary and the need for a Savior. But we got to call nonsense what is nonsense, and we got to call evil what is evil. And so when we see abortion reign in our society, we got to call it out, regardless of the consequences. Because the God of the universe created life. He created you. He created me. And we will stand for that which he created. And we will stand for his truth. No one else's. Not your truth. Not my truth. But his truth. Boldly. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation, look, in, in line with what I was saying in the, in the first segment, we need to be bold and courageous. We need to speak truth. We need to, uh, we need to not run away from that. I've been having multiple conversations with folks over the last uh, few weeks as, as I go and speak at events in, in Florida and in parts of Tennessee and here in Knoxville and in North Carolina. And no matter where I go, there is, a, there is a hunger for truth. There is a, a hunger for bold proclamation of the gospel. No matter where I go. There is an understanding that our culture is, is in a tailspin. There is an understanding that, that we are no longer on a slippery slope. That we have jumped off the cliff and, and put the pedal to the floorboard. Now I don't say that as a woe is me, the sky is falling. I say that because... I need us to understand where we are. You know, for a long time, we celebrated the silent majority. Now, what, what is the silent majority? It's the silent majority that, that kind of gave us Reagan, that gave us George W. And, and for a long time, it was a, the, the church just quietly would go about their days, 
and then show up on election day. The silent majority. We were not uh, saying much into the culture. We weren't speaking out, but we would speak with our vote. And we would get riled up when it came to the abortion issue or, or whatever it may be. Folks, I'm just going to let you know. The answer to our current cultural problem is not being a silent majority. That's not going to work. It's not going to work. Now, I celebrate the folks that, that, that led the way and opened up pregnancy centers. The, the folks that did that were part of the silent majority. But at some point, we're going to have to use our voice. We're going to have to use our platforms. We're going to have to speak truth in the church, outside the church. We're going to have to get involved. We can't say things like, well, you know, that, that guy or that girl, that, that politician, they're really, you know, personally moderate. I was told for a long time that, that Joe Biden was really a moderate. And maybe for, you know, 35 years of his, political career he was but but listen to what president biden and his administration is doing right now the justice department last wednesday filed a lawsuit challenging tennessee's new law banning transgender youth from receiving gender affirming care one of the several laws that the state's gop dominated state house enacted this year targeting lgbtq plus people this is from the AP. And, and, and already in the first paragraph, the first paragraph, it literally, I wouldn't, okay, it's not even a paragraph. The first sentence, I want you to listen to how they wrote this. The very first sentence of the article. The Justice Department on Wednesday filed a lawsuit challenging Tennessee's new law banning transgender youth from receiving gender-affirming care. First off, it's not gender-affirming care. It's child mutilation is what it is. It's puberty blockers. It's top surgeries and bottom surgeries. It's mutilation. It's not, we, they, they say it's safe. We don't know if it's safe. The data points when it comes to the risk of suicide don't go down after somebody transitions. That's nonsense, and that's been debunked by studies. It's not affirming. It's not care, certainly. This is what they did with the abortion debate as well. Oh, it's just, you know, women's health. Look, the reason why they have to give them new names and phrases is because they know that if you knew really what was happening, they wouldn't garner the support in our culture. Because they can't say the quiet part out loud. So we got to call it gender affirming care. We got to call abortion women's health care, a woman's right to choose. You see, we got to use different languages. We can't call it a heartbeat. We have to call it cardiac activity, electrical pulses. Why? Because we want to dehumanize it. We don't want you to know what's really going on. And then listen to how the AP, supposed to be, you know, objective, supposed to be journalism. When talking about the new law in the state of Tennessee, it says one of the several laws that the state GOP dominated state house enacted this year what targeting lgbtq plus people 
targeting them. That, that's, they, they use the word targeting on purpose because they do want to create a sense of that, that the, the GOP in Nashville is targeting folks. No, they, they don't want to say that the GOP House, the supermajority in Nashville, and the governor signed this law because they want to protect children. No, they wouldn't use that language. They wouldn't use that language in this article. The federal government is seeking to invalidate the statute because, quote, no person should be denied access to necessary medical care just because of their transgender status. Necessary medical care. Listen to what they're saying. This isn't necessary medical care. There are folks wanting this to happen to kids that are toddlers. And they're calling this necessary medical care. Puberty blockers for for minors that we don't even know what the long-lasting ramifications of that is. Mutilating little girls. They will never be able to have babies one day. Mutilating little boys. I mean... You can't vote till you're 18. You, you can't go on a field trip at school without getting a, a permission slip signed. You can't smoke cigarettes. You can't drink alcohol if you're a minor. You can't go into a club. You can't rent a car. You, you can't uh, be seen. You can't just decide to skip school. Right? If you just say, I'm no longer going to go, I'm not going to show up. They're going to come after your parents for that? What if you identify as a graduate? Oh, I guess, well, that would be nonsense, right? Of course. There's so many things we don't allow minors to do. Why? Because their brains aren't fully developed and we want to protect them. You can't ride certain roller coasters if you, if you haven't reached a certain height. Why? Because we want to protect them. So, so minors aren't of the mind to make those type of decisions. They can't do certain things because their brain is not fully developed. But yet, we think that minors, five, six years old or younger, 12, 13, 14 years old, can say, look, I think I'm a girl or I think I'm a boy and I want to have surgery to, to do that or I want to take hormone blocking pills to do that or I want to take puberty blockers to do that, and we're supposed to just go, oh, that's so awesome. We trust your judgment in this. We literally have young women in locker rooms where young men are now allowed to go. And when those young women come out and say, that man exposed himself to me, but he claims to be a woman, we're just supposed to tell her to shut up? That's where we are? illogical nonsense happening in our culture. And if we're not bold, and if we're not willing to call it out, and if we're not willing to say the hard things, what's going to happen? Listen to what the U.S. Attorney General said. She said, um, the right to consider your health and medically approved treatment options with your family and doctors is a right that everyone should have including transgender children who are especially vulnerable to serious risk of depression, anxiety, and suicide. All of those things don't go away after somebody transitions. The federal lawsuit comes after Clark sent a letter to all state attorneys general last month warning them that federal law protects transgender youth against discrimination. 
The Justice Department also intervened last year in a lawsuit challenging a similar ban on transgender medical care for young people. Folks, these things matter to us. And it's not going to cut it to be the silent majority anymore. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation, look, I, I told you we're, we're in the in the coming weeks, months, years, however long it takes, we are going to be covering the identity issue that our culture is in at this moment in time. We we refuse. I refuse. I refuse to sit by. While our culture perverts everything, I refuse to sit by while the enemy takes hold. And, and while the enemy causes, and when I look, when I say enemy, I am talking about the spiritual realm. Do you please understand me? And I don't say that lightly. That's never been my thing. I've never kind of over spiritualized things, but but I have no other way of explaining what we are seeing. And I do my best every single week to to help analyze and explain what we're seeing in our culture. And I have no other way to, to explain what we have seen in our culture over the last three to five years than demonic, than evil. Like, there's no other way to explain it. How do we get to where we are outside of that? It's certainly not for the greater good. No society everywhere would, would say we need to create a populace that can't reproduce. That is not for the greater good of society. That's not going to sustain any culture moving down the road. That's not going to do anything to continue the, the city upon a hill that we believed ourselves to be. So we're going to call it out. We're going to speak truth. We're going to use logic. We're going to say things that some folks aren't going to like. And as I mentioned earlier from Eric Reed, the pastor in Middle Tennessee, we're going to have to get used to the fact that we don't want to be the things that culture calls us, but we're going to have to be okay if they call us those things. My buddy Jason Zachary posted this the other day, and it's spot on. For the DOJ, the following is a list of many things you cannot do in Tennessee until you are 18. Listen to this list. This is how nonsensical all of this is. So, so when the DOJ, when the Biden administration is saying we're going to sue Tennessee and other states that are, that are not going to allow minors to go through transgender surgeries, as if we allow minors to just do any and everything, Listen to what you cannot do as a minor in Tennessee. You can't join the military. You can't vote. You can't get a tattoo. You can't serve alcohol or work in a bar. You can't work full time. You can't buy a lottery ticket. You can't sign a contract. You can't file a lawsuit. You can't donate blood. You can't become an organ donor. You can't rent an apartment. You can't use a tanning bed without guardian consent. You can't buy a car. You can't buy certain medicines over the counter. You can't move out of your parents' home. You can't get a checking account. You can't pawn your belongings. You can't rent a hotel room. You cannot become a realtor. You cannot apply for loans. You cannot apply for credit cards. You cannot buy real estate. You cannot apply for a mortgage. You cannot use a meat slicer at a grocery store. And you cannot file a lawsuit. 
And, and most of those things are not just uh, Tennessee-specific. Look, there's been a push over the last few years to lower the voting age. And I don't know, maybe eventually that'll happen, maybe to 16. But why stop there? Why stop there? I mean, it's a serious question. If minors, toddlers, can, can say that, that their gender is different than what they were born as, then why not let them vote? Why not let them drive a car? Why not let them get a tattoo? Why not? If they're mature enough to decide what gender they are, then aren't they mature enough to decide those other things? Well, no, that sounds crazy because it is. But the interesting thing is, as we look at these articles and look at the data and and look at what folks are saying, they say things like, even at that AP article, they say things like, you should be able to have this conversation with your family and with your doctor and with the ones you trust and love. And if you come to that conclusion that you need, quote unquote, gender affirming care. Then you should be able to get that no matter what state you were in. Here's the interesting thing, though. They say in that moment, you should be able to consult with your family. What if your family in that consultation says, I don't think you need to do this. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. And and we just don't think this is the right thing for you. What if that doctor says, I don't think that's the right thing for you. But then another doctor says, They do think it's the right thing. Well, in the state of Washington, if you are a parent and you say, I'm not going to affirm that, and I think we just need to hit hit the brakes and, and we didn't discuss this, if that child runs away from home in the state of Washington, the state of Washington is going to protect that child and change their sex and change their pronouns. In some school systems across our country, they have things in place within the school system to say that if a child comes to school and their parents do not recognize their affirming pronouns, that the school will use whatever pronouns that child desires and then keep it from the parents. The school, in some of these cases, will actually go through the process of getting these children on puberty blockers and, quote-unquote, getting them the help they need. You see, it's okay if you discuss this with parents as long as the parents affirm whatever it is you want. It's the same thing with abortion. If, if you go, they, they, they always say that should be up to a child, a parent, and a doctor. If the child goes to the parents and the parents say, we're going to support you, we do not want you to have this abortion, we're going to take care of that child. And then that minor runs away from home and gets an abortion. The, the state, in some cases, the government will protect that child, quote-unquote, protect that child from their parents. Because again, we got to have abortion on demand no matter what. You see, these kids don't know enough to get a tattoo. They don't know enough to, to work in a bar. They don't know enough to vote. They don't know enough to do these things, but they do know enough to get an abortion. They do know enough to change their gender and their sex and their pronouns. That's what we're up against. And we have a, a generation that's hungry for truth. And if we refuse to speak truth, 
Again, with grace and compassion, because Jesus is both of those. But we must, we must push back against the darkness of our culture today. We must be willing to, to draw clear lines. We must be willing to, to clarify definitions. It is not loving to look a little boy or a little girl in their eye and say, oh, you think you're a girl today? Okay, that's not loving. Telling the truth is loving. Being honest with people is loving. And folks, we have the greatest news this world has ever seen. That the God of the universe knitted us together in our mother's womb. That the God of the universe knows every hair on our head. That the God of the universe intricately created us. Our DNA. Who we are. And it gets better than that. The God of the universe, to, to take care of our sin, sent himself sent Jesus to live a perfect life, die on a cross, and then it gets better than that. Three days later, he rose from the dead to show that he has conquered death for us. The enemy is going to come to kill, steal, and destroy. Look around at what's happening. Confusion everywhere. Mental illness skyrocketing. Depression skyrocketing. Violence skyrocketing. What does that look like? Does it look like killing, stealing, and destroying? When we look around at our young people and they are crying out for help, they're telling us in, in polls and in studies that, that they're more depressed now than ever. They're telling us that they, they go weeks on end with, without ever being happy, without ever feeling joyful. They're not getting sleep. They're addicted to their cell phones. They're addicted to, to pills. They don't desire to be married. They don't desire to have children. They don't desire anything. And the culture's answer is, let's just continue to muddy the waters. Let's continue to, to create confusion. Let's actually lean into that confusion. Folks, that's a path to destruction. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we finish up today, look, I, there's a lot of heaviness that, that we deal with. Um, on this show. I mean, I, and, and the reason why we talk about these things is because we as gospel people, now that's me making an assumption that if you're listening to the show, you uh, are a believer, and, and certainly some of you may not be. But that's who I'm speaking to. And if you don't fall in that category, I'm speaking to you because I want you to fall in that category. I want you to have the peace 
and the joy that comes with knowing we have a Savior that took our place. And I want folks to understand that the confusion and the muddiness of all that we're seeing in our society, that's on purpose. That's with intent. And, and if we sit back, and when I say we, I'm meaning the church, capital C, if we sit back and refuse to engage because we say, oh, that's a political issue, or we don't deal with cultural wars, or we don't deal with cultural issues, we just... You know, that's, that's for someone else to do. I'm just going to uh, preach the word. And, and uh, look, yes, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out. Don't run away from it. But also, it's a both and. There's a, there's a confusion that is reigning in our society. And the answer to that confusion is not going to be found in legislation. The answer to that confusion is not found in the Supreme Court decision. The answer to that confusion is not going to be found by whoever holds the Oval Office. Those things are important, and we talk about those things a lot. But the answer to that confusion is the God of the universe, is Jesus in Calvary in an empty tomb. That's the answer to the confusion that we are a sinful people in need of a Savior, that we needed a mediator because we couldn't do it on our own. Believe me, if we could save ourselves, if it were up to us, there's been a lot of people that have tried to do that and have failed miserably. No, now is the time for clarity. Now is the time for truth. Now is the time for grace. Now is the time for compassion. But you're not going to be loving if you are unwilling to tell the truth. If we're unwilling to admit what we're seeing in our society and culture. If we're unwilling to admit the spiritual darkness that seems to be overtaking every corner of our society. If we're unwilling to admit, admit the, the mental health crisis that our society finds itself in. If we're unwilling to admit that, that the idolatry crisis that our society finds itself in, for some, it's idolatry of self. For some, it's idolatry of politics and winning the debate. But what we have to do is speak truthfully, honestly, compassionately, at what we're seeing and what, what is happening in today's world. The reason why abortion reigned and still reigns for as long as it has is because we choose self. The reason why we see the, the identity crisis that we're seeing right now is because we choose self over all else. The reason why We're seeing the, the mental health crisis that we're seeing today is because we're chock full of doubt. And, and, uh, and we're, we've been told for, for decades to just be you, just embrace you. And, and when we just be us and embrace us, that is a failing philosophy, a damning philosophy. 
I'm starting to now see even even non-believers, even folks that would claim to be atheists, saying things like, you know what, I just decided I needed to go to church this past Sunday, and, and I was there for five minutes, and I started weeping. Why is that? Because we're thirsty for truth. We're thirsty for a desire to, for something outside of ourselves, something greater. And it's not going to be found in some myth. It's going to be found in the truth that the God of the universe put all this in place. And then he paved a way for salvation through his son, Jesus. And now we have an opportunity as God-fearing, God-loving people to share that news with a lost world. And it's lost, folks. So let's get after it. Speak the truth boldly. Love people boldly. Tell them of the good news of a good God. It's worth the time and effort. We'll talk to you next time. Everybody move.